We are in a series out of the book of James called Faith That Works. I just want to begin with a brief story. A number of years ago, a long time ago, in England, a preacher happened upon a gruesome scene, an accident. There was a crowd that had gathered as he made his way to see what was going on. Happened to be a friend of his. His horse was accidentally killed in this accident, and he knew this horse was his source of livelihood, and so all of the people gathered that knew him and were just devastated by the situation were beginning to already express all kinds of sympathy and expressing their emotions and how sad and sorry they were. And in the middle of that, the preacher did something a little unusual. He says, well, I'm sorry five pounds worth took off his hat and put five pounds in the hat. How sorry are you? And began to pass the hat around. And that was the moment that things changed from talk to actions. And this preacher, in a simple act, uh, really brought hope to a man that was already very, very devastated, had no idea how he was going to climb out of that hole that had come about through this accident. Sometimes it's a simple step that serves as a catalyst for those around us to take simple steps of faith. And that preacher, in that moment, took that simple step. So many times, by the way, I'm Jim Hammond. (laughs) And this Jim Hammond, so many times will think the faith and believe the faith and even speak the faith and fail to take the steps of faith that perhaps God is calling me to take. And I wonder if that's you also, that so many times you think the faith, you believe the faith, you might even speak the faith. You would certainly confess your faith to somebody else who asked you, are you a believer? And there are moments throughout your day that you could have taken a simple step to become a catalyst for faith. Let me just tell you about me, that when that happens in my life, if I don't do something about that, then my faith actually shrinks back rather than grows forward. And if I'm not careful in the shrinking back in those kinds of activities in my life, it can create a insensitivity to matters of faith in my life. And so it's a a really important time, uh, a very dangerous time for my soul if my faith only goes so far. And so I'm an introvert and I think the faith, and I believe the faith, I study the faith, I teach the faith, but I catch myself not living it in places where there's risk required, where I need to get out of my comfort zone, where I need to do something that God is calling me to, and sometimes I don't even know why it is that I'm not stepping out in an action of faith. If that's you, then you've come the right day because we need to address that in our lives. And so this is what James is talking about today um, in his little book of James. And we're talking about faith that works. 
And I want a faith that works, don't you? Faith that works, it shows. It's not just on the inside. It shows. And so we're going to jump right into kind of a zinger of a thought, and that is point number one. Dead faith is unresponsive faith. Dead faith is unresponsive faith. So James writes this in chapter 2. We're starting at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. What is dead faith? It's totally unresponsive faith. It's very possible And I've lived out that possibility, and I need to repent, ask for forgiveness, to regain sensitivity, and grow through the callousness that develops over a living faith. That unresponsiveness creates a callousness. I have to go there, or it'll become a deadness, an unsensitivity, an unresponsiveness before God. I won't hear from God if I move in those directions. It's a very critical time when the required action, the right action, for whatever reason, was not acted upon and it became words and no more. Jumping to verse 26, James again said, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So how do you know when somebody is dead? They're unresponsive. They're unresponsive. I heard from a doctor that I know that you know somebody's dead if you squirt ice water in their ear and they're unresponsive. Never had the opportunity to see if that's true, but they're dead. If they do, if they're faking it, you will know if you squirt ice water into their ear. All right? How do you know when someone's faith is dead when it is unresponsive to the needs of people around them, when it is alive to do my will, but dead to do God's will? You know that person's faith is so calloused or is bogus, never real to begin with, that it's in trouble. So we need to talk about this. But before we do, I need to remind us a few things that Uh, I brought to our attention last week in a quick review, so I'm going to read it, otherwise I will take too much time, because I already preached it once, so I'm just going to read a review here. Last week we learned that where self gave us birth to death, that's a quote from James 1.15, where self gave us birth to death, James 1.15, God chose to give us birth to spiritual life through the word of truth, that was James 1.18. So we... We have a self that gives birth to a death, spiritual deadness with God. Oh, I'm starting to preach again. If this happened to you, it happened when you received the word of truth. If you receive life, 
If this happened to you, it happened when by faith you humbly accepted, I'm quoting now, humbly accepted the word planted in you which can save you, James 1.21. So this is James presenting the gospel very, very clearly, the word of truth, which is not just the gospel in words, but it's the gospel because Jesus is the word of truth, and we get that in John 1 and also in John 14.6. So there's a review. So in chapter two, we are beginning right at this idea that it's totally possible to have a bogus faith. How do we know if our faith is bogus? It's fake and we're dead because he's gonna describe a dead faith that is not going to save and that's hard for us to even hear but that's what James describes, okay? So point number two. Genuine faith grows and it shows. It grows and it shows. James 2.18, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds, James says. Now, let's just take that phrase I have faith, you have deeds. That's somebody that views faith and deeds as if it's more like a a gift of the Spirit, like you have that gift, I have this gift. That's not an option with faith and actions. It's two expressions of the same thing. If you have faith and it's real, there will be actions or your faith is bogus. That's what he's saying, okay? Let that sink in a moment. Did it sink in? Because what we're talking about sinking in, remember last week we talked about the seed which Jesus planted. There was genuine faith that grows and shows. Then there was the fake bogus faith that died, shriveled up, and didn't produce. You can't see it. It never got above the surface. It was always hidden. And it was bogus. So I have a question. Is your faith so hidden that there is not enough evidence for the unbelievers in your life to think of you as a follower of Jesus. Uh, (laughs) I'm sure there are unbelievers in my life that have no idea, right? Is Is your faith so hidden that there is not enough evidence for unbelievers in your life to think of you as a follower of Jesus? Now here's a follow up question, similar. And if they do know you are a follower of Jesus, does your life show that this is a good thing to them? Does what actually show in your life look attractive to them? See, there's a kind of faith that is very showy. Jesus talked about that a lot. There's a kind of faith that's very loud and very talky. (laughs) And he talked about that a lot. And it's very obnoxious. And it doesn't look like goodness, real goodness inside because there's something fake about it. He talked about hypocrisy and he talked about that a lot. Genuine faith grows and it shows. Do you have enough of it to be convicted of the truth? Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Point number three. Faith and actions work together. Faith and actions work together. A person who thinks they can separate faith from actions is deceived. Now, James 
continues with what we've been reading with this incredible zinger. And it's, I mean, if I had a cattle prod, this is the effect. <laughs> Whoa, here's the zinger, okay? You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. You foolish person. I'm going to leave that there, dot, dot, dot. We'll get past that in a moment. But first of all, demons are real. Jesus believed them to be real. They really exist. They really uh, interacted and battled Jesus, and Jesus had way more authority. They were busy trying to jockey for position or flee, and Jesus believed they're real. I believe they're real. You know what reality doesn't exist? A demon who's an atheist. There is no such thing. There is no demon atheist. They, have, they absolutely know that God is real. They absolutely know that he is who he is, but that faith does not help them one whit because they're committed to their rebellion against him, even though they believe that he is God. Now, James is bringing this zinger to our attention because many of uh, our expressions of faith, we are unintentional atheists. We, we aren't really atheists. We believe God is real, but we're acting as if we're atheists the way demons act as if they're atheists because their belief in God doesn't affect their actions. They're in rebellion, even though God is real and will judge them and call them into account. They believe it's better to live my will than your will, God, because they're, whatever it is, deceived, angry, in rebellion, in a spiritual space, uh, space of death, which many of us can be there as well. All right? Zinger. So James's point is there is a bogus kind of believing. So let that settle in. If there's a bogus kind of believing, how do I know that my believing is not bogus, but it's a real saving faith? That's the question that's worth thinking through. Now, haven't we all met people who claim to be Christians? They profess the faith. They might post the faith. I, I don't look at all that stuff, but... I imagine there are people that like that. Posting the faith, all about their faith, it's all show, it's all outward, and yet you know a lot about them, and you, you have a hard time believing they really are followers of Jesus because you know their lifestyle doesn't match, they're, uh, they're not obeying what Jesus says, their total orientation is not toward Jesus, their total orientation is really all about self and all about me and all about now and all about their own kingdom, that's the way they live, and so you just don't know what to do with the fact that they say they're believers. Well, I'm not sure we need to know. God is the one that is the one that's going to sort it out. I'm not judge, right? Mercy triumphs over judgment. However, we're taught by James here, we better look at ourselves because there is a bogus kind of believing. And that bogus kind of believing will not save is what he's saying. Now, he is... Where does James get this idea? I mean, we've been trained to think that it's by believing that we're saved, by believing that we're saved. But James gets this idea from Jesus, 
And we hear things from Jesus like this, Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? If I'm the Lord and you're the servant, you would do what I say. And then when they come up with excuses about, well, I did this and I did this and I did this, we read in Matthew 7, 23 that those excuses, Jesus then says, then I will tell them plainly. And he's talking about the judgment in the future. I'll tell them plainly. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So they thought they believed. It's a bogus kind of faith. And the actions that they produced were all actions of self, not from the kernel of truth that they received planted in them, not from the living Jesus Christ that they accepted by faith that's inside, living, growing, real, alive, brought birth out of their death. They're still in living death, working out their living death in actions, trying to earn their salvation by this and this and this and this. I did all this stuff. They did the right religious stuff and thought they were saved. And with the right religious stuff, they think they're going to heaven. And James says, just check your actions. Check your life. Have you grown to the place where your real goodness is seen by that kernel of truth that's planted inside of you? That real goodness came alive inside of you. It's growing roots inside of you. And as you grow, it begins to show and actually shows for others to see that real goodness, the goodness of Jesus, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the goodness of Jesus, the one who says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, abide in me, dwell in me, I remain in you, abide in you, dwell in you. The goodness, the life that's there, it grows and shows. If that's missing, you can try real hard and act real hard like a Christian, but just because you're in the garage doesn't mean you're a car. <laughs> right? I got, a lot, I got bikes in my car. There's no power there, Right? bikes in my car, no, in my garage. Did I say stuff like that all the time and you're just so gracious? I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Let's move on. James 2, 20 through 22. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. So what does it look like when faith is made complete? Faith is complete when faith and actions honor God by working together. There's another word for incomplete faith, and James uh, describes it one way. I'm going to describe it this way. There's another word for incomplete faith. Listen carefully. Here's the word. It's a tough one. It's called disobedience. Disobedience. When you are not doing the thing that you know you're supposed to be doing, and you profess faith. That's what he's describing here. We usually focus on all the stuff. We did this. We did this. We did this. And there's a disobedience when there's an action not done that is expected. Here's how it works. We're all about me. All about self. All about my kingdom. And I'm actually going to be happier if I do this. 
rather than what I know God wants me to do. And we still believe in God. Yee. That's called disobedience. Now, we're going to get there later in James. Actually, you're going to do this part in small groups. Uh, James 4, 17, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. We always think of the sins as the sins we commit. James is very clear. There's an, we probably have more disobedience with what we don't do than with what we do. Maybe not for you, I don't know. For me, I think there's a whole bunch that I'm not doing that is over and over again, like blind spot, you know, I'm just living and I could have acted more like Jesus with that person, but I treated them like they weren't even a person, they're just a clerk. I treated them like they don't even have a soul, they don't have an eternity, they're just a stranger. I don't picture Jesus doing that, right? So if Jesus is inside of me and that life is germinating in me, it's starting to grow in me and goodness comes out of me, I want to be more like Jesus. Now, just in case you're starting to feel like, uh-oh, the dangers of hell are, are flaming around me and I'm going to be, you can take care of that today. It's just called repentance, <laughs> asking for forgiveness and being washed clean by Jesus and continuing to do that. Don't think of the person who repents every day as really an awful sinner. If you do, I'm it. Got to repent every day. Got to humble myself before God every day because I got to stay clean and open and humble myself before God so that my living faith is real. If you're not repenting every day, I don't think you really believe you're a sinner in need of a savior. I mean, repent, repent, repent. I humble myself before him. I need you, God. I need you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. That was Jesus, John 15, 5. I'm really going to be in trouble with time here. Okay, moving on. Faith and actions are like the wings of a bird. There can be no real flight with only one wing. Faith and actions work together. It's two sides of the same thing. Actions, when they're real acts of faith, you're not trying to make it happen. It's Jesus in you, growing and showing and loving and being merciful and being more like Jesus, coming out through you because you're growing and it shows. At first, you have to consciously work on it. But then, the real gift of grace is when other people see it in you and you don't. You're unconsciously living it. That's a beautiful place. Important point. I need to say this as clear as I know how to say it. Because theologically, um, if I don't say it and drill it in, you might think I'm saying the wrong thing. James was not teaching that saving faith is earned by good works. Please hear me. You cannot earn your way into heaven through good works. The only way into heaven is through Jesus and by faith receiving him like the planted seed, humbly, the way James said, and that he then takes our life and by his spirit breathes life into our dead spirit so that our spirit through his spirit now can direct our soul, that my mind can think thoughts that are in alignment with God's thoughts, and my will can will decisions that are in alignment with his will, my emotions actually agree with his emotions and want to do his will. 
because he's the one that brought birth out of mercy to us while we were dead in sin. And that only happens when we humble ourselves and look to Jesus and accept what he's done for us and receive that. And that's how we're saved. It's a supernatural salvation that comes into our life through Jesus' victorious accomplishment on the cross and resurrection so that resurrection life through his spirit can now be placed in you and things begin to show in ways that you had no idea they could show. James is in total agreement with Jesus on this when Jesus says, likewise, this is Matthew 7, 17 and verse 20 as well, likewise, every good tree bears fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit, thus by their fruit you will recognize them. How does fruit grow in my life? It's like, okay, apples. Come on! No, I connect to Jesus. In the life of Jesus, and his image would be great, because he's the vine, and I'm the branch, and I can produce nothing apart from my connection to his life, and his life then produces, as I grow, fruit. And that fruit is good. It's the fruit of goodness, and it shows What you really believe affects what you do. Point number four, actions show what you really believe. James 2, 15 through 16, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? That hypothetical is not a hypothetical. That situation takes place frequently. I'll pray for you. I'll be praying for you. And maybe there's a step beyond that that he's urging us to. And what's taking place inside if we know the Spirit of God wants us to act more like Jesus and we're not acting more like Jesus, what is the reason why. It's because we really believe in that moment, be warmed and be filled. We really believe in that moment, we'll be happier working towards my kingdom and not sacrificing part of my kingdom and not sacrificing part of my time and my energy and my resources for them because my agenda and what I've got going is more important than that. And that, my friends, sounds more like a demon because a demon is not into God's will A demon is into only their own will. And Jesus taught us, not my will. He's the son of God without sin. Not my will, Father. Nevertheless, your will be done. And if we want to be more like Jesus, we got to turn the orientation away from self and always be looking at Jesus. And as we're looking at Jesus, it looks like self-denial. And it looks like a little sacrifice because it looks like Jesus as we're making a difference in a person's life nearby us. Pretty soon they're looking at us and they see a life that's beautiful, not because we're trying harder, but because Jesus is there and he's shining through. And when Jesus is there shining through, here's what Jesus said. He said, 
You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. James is parroting his big brother, half-brother, his words that impacted him after he came to believe when that birth took place in his life after the resurrection of Jesus. There's a quote, if you can catch up to me and find it. Real faith shines because real faith connects us to an unearthly unearthly source of power that shines through us to others. So when Jesus talks about shining, you're the light of the world, he's using the image of an oil lamp. But when he was talking about, I'm the vine, you're the branches, he's using the image of a vine and branch. But it's the same thing. It is the connection with him as life. What might it look like? Here's a true story. Jack had been president of a large corporation when he got cancer. They ruthlessly dumped him, fired him, let him go because he had cancer. Can you believe it? He went through his insurance, used his life savings, and had practically nothing left. I visited him, this is not me, it's a story. I visited him with one of my deacons who said, Jack, you speak so openly about the brief life you have left. I wonder if you've prepared for your life after death. Jack stood up, livid with rage. You, blankety blank Christians, all you ever think about is what's going to happen to me after I die. If your God is so great, why doesn't he do something about the real problems of life? He went on to tell us he was leaving his wife penniless and his daughter without money for college. Then he ordered us out. Get out of my house. Later, my deacon insisted we go back. We did. Jack, I know I offended you, he said. I humbly apologize, but I want you to know I've been working since then. Your first problem is where your family will live after you die. A realtor in our church has agreed to sell your house and give your wife his commission. I guarantee you that if you'll permit us, some other men and I will make the house payments until it's sold. Then I've contacted the owner of an apartment house down the street. He's offered your wife a three-bedroom apartment plus free utilities and an $850 a month salary in return for her collecting rents and supervising plumbing and electrical repairs. The income from your house should pay for your daughter's college. I just wanted you to know your family will be well cared for. Jack cried like a baby. He died shortly thereafter, so wrapped in pain, he never accepted Christ. But he experienced God's love even as he rejected him. But his widow, touched by the caring Christians, responded to the gospel message. So I don't know where you are and how you're hearing this message and how it sits with you, but I can guarantee you this. If you're anything like me, what you need to do is confess the truth. Lord, so often I'm all about me and my will. And I'm not about you and your well. Forgive me. I repent. 
I want to turn my orientation away from me and to you. I worship you. I love you. I thank you for your mercy. Wash me clean. Plant your life in me. Help your life to grow in me. If that's something that's just calling you to that place, bow your head and pray it. We're going to have the prayer team come to the uh, prayer area right now. Some of you perhaps need to do more than just believe it, think it, and even pray it. I think some of you need to get up and walk over there after I pray and say, I have this that's getting in the way. I have this that's getting in the way. I have this that's getting in the way. And I know that I'm unresponsive to God until that gets taken care of. Would you pray for me? If that's you, I pray that you'd get up and walk. Let's stand together for prayer. Lord God, we thank you for saving us out of our deadness, for making it possible to take care of the calluses, the things that get in the way, the things that are causing us to be unresponsive and insensitive, not hearing, sometimes not even believing. We pray that you'd help us to receive, humbly receive the word planted in us, Lord Jesus, that we might have the birth of life and grow and show. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next week.